Hello, and welcome to the Movie Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion about a movie we think you'll enjoy. I am joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on Doctor Strange. Spoilers will include not only for that movie, but probably the the general cinematic uh, stuff for Marvel. Maybe some of the comics, uh, maybe even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who knows what else. But uh, again, when we do these these movie ones, they tend to be very spoiler-ish. Well, and there's always the possibility we'll spoil DC in the compare and contrast uh, line of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Might even spoil a little of Sherlock, since... uh, (laughs) Very true. Benedict Cumberbatch, who is Doctor Strange, was in there. I don't think we'll get around to spoiling um, the Star Trek movie he was in, but you never know. This is one that we saw on Blu-ray. We watched the non-2D version, or the 2D version, the non-3D version. The non-2D version would have been kind of <laughs> kind of insane. Although, I've got to admit, um, looking at a lot of the visuals, uh, the 3D version is probably going to be kind of kind of mind-blowing. There were moments where I thought the 3D version, like when the buildings were folding around, mm-hmm. I thought the 3D's got to be creepy amazing and maybe border on too much for me. But when they were doing the uh, pull-your-hands-apart-and-light created between them and then swing them around and create the shields and stuff that's why i thought the 3d was probably just remarkable or when they did the the spinny sparkly thing in the portals and stuff yeah i mean the the visuals on this movie were astounding Mm. everything from when stephen strange got kind of knocked out of his own body yeah the astral projection you know the whole you know take, take take a trip through the multiverse or whatever um, the fight scenes, again, the Escher-like aspect of the fight scenes with the buildings and all of that. The visual effects team on this movie, totally top-notch, um, did an outstanding job. There were parts with the buildings and all of the, the folding on top of things. It, it reminded me a little of Harry Potter. Mm. The, the entrance to Diagon Alley and that sort of a thing, but just amped up a couple of degrees. There were times in that where my brain was just lost on which surfaces were supposed to be considered a top or at 90 degrees angles to what. And it was just, I I can't logic out any of it, so I'm not well, even going to try. That was the point. Yeah, well, and I get that. But the what's going to roll onto someone and hurt them versus somebody can jump over. It was or they'll getting, fall through. Yeah, it was getting too complex for me. Yet when Strange was getting chased at one point, and it was just um, gangway to gangway to gangway kind Mm. of a thing, it's like, he's just running forward and things line up in his path. Yeah. When uh, the Ancient One came in and we got that that circular kind of battlefield or whatever, it's funny because that is something that when you've got the two kind of pacing around each other, facing off and about to fight, conceptually is incredibly video game-ish. But the way they did it felt very cinematic. Yeah. And not very video gameish. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's just they they did an excellent job on that. Well, and they did a beautiful use of having a round battlefield for that because you started with 
what I'll call our two good guys on one edge at, we'll say, midnight. And the two good guys you're thinking are? Are Doctor Strange and Mordo. Okay. I just want to be clear on that. Let's get back to Mordo later. Yes. Well, yes. But then at three o'clock, you've got the Ancient One. Mm -hmm. At nine o'clock, you've got the bad guys we're chasing. And as they're going and pacing opposite the Ancient One, she is at times coming closer to our guys. And other times she's walking further from our guys, putting the, quote, bad guys closer to our guys. And in the end, as we're realizing there's a chance our guys have more in common with the bad guys than they realized, because the Ancient One's been drawing on the dark power, they the bad guys have been pacing closer to our people. So it was interesting to see the the shifting of blocking and where people, who was standing closer to who at times. As they realize they're in more philosophical alignment, they're in more physical alignment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was... A lot of those sorts of things were well done. Mm-hmm. And the film also had a sense of humor about it. Well, before we go there, I okay. want to say I avoided spoilers, trailers, everything before watching this. So I went in pretty much expecting a absolute power corrupts absolutely plot line. Okay. Did you feel you got that? In the very final post credit scene. All right, let's let's go ahead and jump there for a moment. Um, but I mean, that was my surprise. That's not the plot of the film, as much well, as I expected it to be. And that was a little bit of a surprise for me too, but for a very different reason. the 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 movie had a pre credits and a post credits scene. The pre credits is Doctor Strange talking to Thor, mm-hmm. presumably setting up that next uh, the Thor movie, and then the post credits one was Mordro encountering uh, another character. The one that kind of set Steven on his path to go find magic. Um, and basically, Mordo saying, yeah, there are too many sorcerers. I'm going to take care of that. Mm-hmm. And being able to steal magic from others. Yeah. Very much taking Mordro, who had been an ally of Strange the entire film, uh, even almost a champion of, of Strange's mm-hmm. at times, and suddenly casting him in a villainous light. Well, and at times he had been a... Uh... I don't know if I want to call him a balance or a counterbalance to Strange, but it was very much a where Strange was a rule breaker. Mordra was that balancing rule follower. Well, he was the other half of the buddy cop team. Yeah. You know, they, again, Strange and Mordo were opposites in many respects, allies in a lot of respects, and foils for one another. Yeah. But if you go to the original comic book story, This movie followed along a lot of that, certainly not all of that. But the big difference is in the comic story, when Strange is there getting trained by the Ancient One, um, Mordor was also a fellow student. Oh, interesting. But Mordor's role in in the comic from that story is kind of split in half. The half that is the Mordor we have here and the half that is the villainous guy we have here. Oh, well, that's interesting. Okay, but it was, again, just the one character in the comics... Mm-hmm. And when Strange realized that Mordor was going to turn on the Ancient One, try to become, by force, I think, the new Sorcerer Supreme. I'm do- Fairness, I'm doing this from memory, so yeah. I'm going to get a few plot points a little wrong. But Mordor basically cast a spell on Strange, preventing him from speaking out or acting out against Mordor. Oh, interesting, yeah. Which is a lot of what in the comic prompted Strange to say, well, I can't speak against him. Teach me. Hmm. Let me fight for myself. yeah. And then it's later revealed the Ancient One kind of realized, knew what was going on the whole time, 
It's like, well, first, let's get rid of those binding spells or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Strange is like, you knew? Uh, so there was a little bit of tweaking in that respect, but it allowed Mordro to basically get established in this film mm-hmm. for us to really get to know him and then become potentially the bad guy in the next film. Mm-hmm. Well, in this one, he's very much Strange's mentor and an intermediary, if you will, between mm-hmm. Strange and the Ancient One. But at the end, he feels betrayed by the Ancient One, turns his back on the teachings, but doesn't seem to realize that in turning his back, he's betraying Strange. Well, he had a crisis of, of, of faith at that point. Yeah. You know, everything he thought he stood for, you know, that he'd been taught by the Ancient One was, was not what he had believed it to be. Which is why the villain of this film did what he did. Mm-hmm. A similar crisis of faith. Yeah. And again, why I think the villain of this film was essentially a character that, if you go back to that original Doctor Strange story, is just a a replica of of Mordo. Well, and I will admit, uh, Christine, the doctor in this film, uh, she she had a good call on you're acting like you're in a cult. Yeah, that was she, well, and that goes back to my my comment uh, about the sense of humor in the film. Yeah, they had some really good lines like that, and I also really enjoyed the. Um, the Cloak of Levitation's personality. Yeah, I thought that was fabulous. And how it was trying to help Strange, but also couldn't really communicate clearly. It's, I think it should have been able to at least gesture at the, the thing it was trying to get him towards. Yes. Stop walking that direction. I will not let you move the direction you want to go. Not the axe. This other thing on the other wall. Yes. Um. <laughs> I loved it. it. was strong enough to keep him from moving forward, just not strong enough to drag him backward. Yeah. And I loved it when uh, the cloak tried to dry his tears. Yeah. It it was a very it, it set up that as as uh, Stephen's uh, artifact, his his object of power. It is one of the the hallmark aspects of the character. But then again, so is the Eye of Amagato. Mm. But they've also set that up to where he can get that in the next film. You know, I was expecting a little bit more of the kind of incantations or whatever. Oh, interesting. Well, and I thought it was amusing when the Ancient One said, uh, think of spells as programs, if that makes you more comfortable. Yeah. Well, in the comics, uh, certainly early on, this is a character that was one of the the early days of Marvel in the 60s, and very much had kind of a Stanley thumbprint on it. I forget if Stanley personally worked on the book or not, but there was a, a, a kind of a flowery prose exposition sort of it or whatever, where... You know, when he would do an, a, a spell or whatever, it's, you know, the, the Crimson's Bands of Korderak or, you know, whatever. I forget the, the one. I could never pronounce them because there were a lot <laughs> of consonants and stuff. But it was kind of the the labeled attack, you know, and that's something that's a hallmark of various mystic things. Again, the Harry Potter, you know, they have the names of the spells, the the incantations they chant. Just like in some martial arts films and video games. You know, you've got, again, here's the power move by me. Mm-hmm. It's also, again, kind of a Power Ranger-ish sort of a thing. Well, I liked that the, the uh, Wi-Fi password had that very... The Shambhala or yeah. whatever. Well, but again, that was what set up my expectation a little of, you know, Strange is going to be spouting these kind of quick one-liners as he's announcing his attack or invoking his attack. Yeah. And we got none of that. 
you know, but what we got, it was funny because there was one point where they're, they're in that mirror realm in New York that Strange is set up. He and Mordor are running, realizing these guys are more powerful here. That's not good. They're running up a building and Strange has his sling ring or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And he's spinning his other arm wildly, trying to get the sparky thing going to get. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I really don't remember, remember. In the comics, Strange having such a, uh, uh pr- not pronounced, what would be the way to say it? Dramatic. Dr- not even dramatic, that's underselling it. <laughs> There's something where, on TV, you could do a, a very finesse, kind of a minor hand gesture or whatever, but if you're on stage, it's very theatrical, I think is the way to put it. Yeah. You, you overblow it, you oversell it, so the people in the way back can at least see what you've done. But but part of it is he was still practicing, still learning, still lacking confidence in his ability to do it. I loved how the Ancient One got him past the, it's not that your hands are damaged as to why you can't do these spells. Yes. And I thought it really sold Strange getting, ah, I, I, I get it now. I loved that. And I loved when she pointed out, you could use your magic. To steady your hands, to return to your old life, and it would take every ounce of the mystical you have, and that would be all you gained, all anyone gained. Or you can live with shaky hands and do so much more for the world. It, yeah, you could go back to your old life, but that's not your destiny. Yeah. There was, uh, and again, I thought that was echoed nicely at the end when we got back to Benjamin Bratt's character. Yeah. Who had just used... He had been, arguably, that character could have been considered, uh, well, I'm not going to say was the character of. In the Avengers, there was another character called Dr. Druid mm-hmm. that at one point was essentially revealed to have been kind of the Ancient One's dry run for Dr. Strange. Ah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Whereas the Benjamin Bratt character, in a very different way, mm-hmm. was like that because it's he came to get healed, he learned what he needed to learn. And then decided healing himself was enough. He didn't want to get into this war. Well, and uh, the guy who turned into the villain of this piece said, you know, the Ancient One collects broken people. Everyone who goes to her goes to be healed. Whether they satisfy themselves with their person being healed and then leave or stay because they recognize there's the potential for more and they want to be part of something greater. If they see that bigger picture and accept that bigger picture, essentially. Yeah, there were some wonderful big concepts and big themes tucked into this, Mm -hmm. like those things, and I enjoyed that. It it had a philosophy to it, but not one that was just beating us over the head. Now, there was one thing that I felt they really knocked us over the head pretty hard with. Don't text and drive. (laughs) The fact that that was the final line of the credits, essentially, I felt was kind of funny, but... What also got me, though, with that scene going back to the beginning, I know we're bouncing around, but live with it, uh, back to the beginning of the movie when he's he's looking at the, the stuff, he's driving away from town, because he lives in the city, and he's way out in the boonies at this point, mm-hmm. and he's calling back of, well, what do you got for me? You know, kind of, what's my next case? Well, he was on his way to some dinner or speech or something that Christine had refused to go with him to. Well, I guess he's coming back at that point or something. They could have sold that a little better. But one of them was a former military guy 
in a, you know, experimental exo armor or whatever has, you know, a spine injury or whatever. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure was Rhodey, you know, from the Captain America movie at the end of that. Spoilers. Um, so, again, that little kind of a nugget. Uh, at the beginning, they did show the Avengers Tower. At the end, when we're at uh, the Sanctum Sanctorum on Bleecker Street, they had cityscapes. I didn't see the tower there. It would have been nice for that to have mm. been a little more obvious. Uh, but I I felt they did a decent job sort of fitting it into the Marvel Universe more by implication mm-hmm. uh, and the reference to the Infinity Stone rather than just every time we turn around, there's something else going on. Yeah. It would have been nice to have had, you know, I don't think they could have done the Daily Bugle necessarily. Well, they probably could have at this point. Spider-Man type reference, and they've yeah. kind of integrated with that. Well, in terms of just little things I enjoyed at the uh, New York office, I guess I would say. Uh, the three doors that went to the ocean. The desert or the, the mountains, wherever, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, the mill door seemed to be the easiest one to change channels The others on. had a, a little knobby thing to change channels. I um, want one of those doors. The magical portals or whatever. Yeah. No sling ring required. The sling ring just seemed to be a uh, something to lose well, item. Yeah, Doctor Strange seemed to think that, you know, you s- swipe that off of somebody else and you can strand them inside that mirror we were flat out told that by the ancient one. yeah that's what i thought but nothing else seemed to require a a ubiquitous non-personalized mystical object yeah and it's like okay the sole purpose of that was to give the threat of stranding somebody yeah well and i wondered if you had swiped somebody else and now we're wearing two of them could that up your power i don't think it's so much up the power to me it seemed like a um almost a stabilizer if you will yeah, I was gonna say like a a tuning tuning rod, fork, kind of, tuning yeah. fork. Yeah, it was so. ill-defined and it never really amounted to anything, mm-hmm. other than for somebody to be worried about. Oh, you've lost this, you know, MacGuffinish kind of a, a plot device, but not in a way that was. Oh my God, you've got to be kidding! He can do all this, but because he lost a piece of jewelry, he can't do this. Now I accept that when it's like Green Lantern because the jewelry is kind of important there, but here it's not. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Um, I liked Doctor Strange trying to stay true to do no harm. Mm-hmm. His his inner conflict of, I just killed people, and I believe in do no harm. It was an interesting trying to bring together his arrogance and a few other things with, he does take his oath as a doctor seriously. Well, and I thought the film did a good job of him going, setting him up as this incredibly brilliant and talented surgeon, neurosurgeon, mm-hmm. this ego, but not an unbearable ego, but a, one that needs a little knocking down or whatever, to him realizing he's a very small thing in this very vast yeah. world. It's not all about him and really selling the uh, ability to, to finally sacrifice for other people. Well, and the ancient one talking with him about, you know, it's your arrogance and your fear. That is holding you back from true greatness. Again, when he's going up against Dormammu, and he's basically set up a time loop. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I can't win, but I can lose. Yeah. Over and over and over again. You're my prisoner. Yeah, that was beautiful. And it was, it it showed the intelligence, the imagination, Mm -hmm. and 
But the other thing we got in the moments right before that was Mordo having no faith in him. I didn't take it as no faith when he was telling Stephen to get up, keep fighting. No, after that. Oh. When, when Strange had gone up in there and he makes a comment about... Everything has a price? No, before uh. that, uh, even he has abandoned us. There was that, and then after he comes back, everything has a price, and not even giving Stephen the chance to explain, yeah, he has paid a little bit of a price. Yeah. Because, I mean, we saw it took a little while, but for all we knew, Stephen Strange experienced that for a thousand years. Yeah. And that actually might have been a, a fun little thing to do, would be basically a rapid fire kind of succession of the, I mean, we saw a handful. Yeah. But imagine if that went for about another 20 seconds, in which time they fast-forwarded through like a, almost 100 of those situations. Yeah. And they, they sold the idea uh, as it was. But it, it, it really showed to me the the growth of the character and then set it up to where clearly more time has elapsed before that pre-credit scene with Thor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a little unclear. Well, I guess if, if we place the start of the movie essentially at Captain America's Civil War, it makes it a little unclear as to how much time elapsed before the pre-credit scene, which presumably is going to be right around the time of the start of the, the Thor film. Mm. I'm not even sure when the Thor film comes out at this point. I've lost track. Um, and I think the films we have left to do episodes on are the two Hulk and the two Thor films. That sounds right. I'd have to double check. Maybe we've done those already. It comes for a while. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point. Yeah. And I liked how this set up the mystical aspect of it. Mm -hmm. How it was basically saying, yeah, we're the ones who who deal with the supernatural threats, just like the Avengers deal with the the regular kind of threats. Mm -hmm. Um. And again, that that scene at the end with Thor really kind of ties those two worlds together. Yeah. Well, and. Albeit the uh, the three places they had on Earth that were designed to create the shield and protect them. Hong Kong, London, and New York. Right. Uh, and they were supposed to protect them from the dark threat, and two of them were totally destroyed. But it's okay, because he went and made a bargain with said dark threat to never return to Earth. So I liked that he had the intelligence, etc., to recognize, okay, our shield is destroyed. I think it was damaged, but I took the scenes at the end um, when they're back at the putting the eye back in the, the, the main lodge that the doors were all open. The place had been rebuilt. Right. And I took it by extension. Oh, okay. That the, the Hong Kong and London offices had also been rebuilt. Okay. We saw the, Lon the Hong Kong one get fixed. Oh, that's true. When we rewound time. Okay. So, and I thought the rewinding of time was amazing. You know, there was something about that that was making me think the when they were brainstorming this film, it's like, yeah, they everybody always does does, does these great fight scenes and now they're doing fight scenes with all this destruction happening and stuff. What can we do? Let's have the destruction be unhappening as we have the fight scene. <laughs> really? Well, and I loved Wong when Strange is like, I know, breaking the natural law, and Wong, who's just been brought back to life, is like, uh-huh, keep doing it. Well, and I think that was a little bit of a turning point, though, for Mordo, when he's like, they're now embracing what they shouldn't be doing. But there, it, it gets back to that greater good concept, that, yeah. again, that I think Stephen Strange really hadn't bought into earlier on, and now was. Yeah. That sense of responsibility. 
but just throughout this, some of the visuals and things of that nature uh, were just incredible. Mm-hmm. And this is a film that they could not really do, I think, too much earlier than when they've done it. No. Certainly when the first Iron Man film was done, film technology was good, but not to the level they needed for this, I think. No, I don't think so. We saw similar sorts of things in Looper. I thought with some of the cityscape and a few things like that. So I don't know if they could have done the Escherus aspect. That's what I keep coming back to. But I'm curious when film technology got, what, what pieces of technology had to fall into place for this to be done and when did those fall into place? Yeah. Again, great, great addition, I think, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of fun. I appreciated how early on when they had all the surgeries and all that stuff, they could have very easily gotten very in-depth and gory on that. I appreciated that they didn't. Yeah. You know, particularly since we were sitting down to eat as we were watching the film. What other aspects are worth talking about on this? It's It was a very long and involved uh, creation story. I mean, it was not a Spider-Man got bit by a bug. He's Spider-Man. Ah, his origin. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, his origin is, uh, there are some origins like Spider-Man where there is the moment. Yes. And there are others where there's the turning point moment, the car crash, the dealing with it, and then getting onto that heroic journey. And that's something that takes place over the course of, in this case, it's really hard to know how long. Months at the very least. I was going to say, I felt that from car crash to... Cloak of Levitation was probably more like a year. Seven surgeries. That's fair. That's fair. I hadn't counted all the work he'd done in terms of trying to go through the medical route and stuff. I would argue along those lines then that car crash to getting accepted for training could have been anywhere six to 12 months easily, if not longer. And then from there through the the, the climax of the movie, easily another year potentially of training etc and then from there to the pre-credit scene that in of itself could be another six months i mean i'm not saying that is the time yeah 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 but to your point a lot happened time had to elapse for the character growth for Mm -hmm. the training um all of those things yeah which implies again more time has elapsed between if that was indeed the captain america civil war you know end point for the car crash moving forward, which I mean, doesn't really matter one way or another. Um, I'm curious how long of a contract they've got uh, a Cumberbatch signed to the line about the Infinity Stones implies he will indeed be in the Avengers Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I thought it was interesting when uh, he went to Benjamin Bratt's character for advice on you. How did you do this? And he's saying, Oh, no, wait, I do know who you are. You're the doctor whose receptionist wouldn't even let me pass because I was a lost cause and you wouldn't see me. Mm-hmm. You know, and before the car crash, we had gotten the he only took people he knew he could help, knew he could cure. And then after the car crash, he's getting mad when someone says, yeah, my shoes repu- on the other foot. Yeah, my reputation's on the line. And I'm not going to take a chance on surgery on you. I would kind of like the next Doctor Strange film to start 
with Benjamin Bratt's presumably now recrippled mm. character kind of crawling up to the door of mm-hmm. Bleecker Street and strange what's going you know helping yeah. out yeah you know I think that would be a very interesting way to kind of warn him about the the looming threat yes um that we get at the end of this movie um again there's a lot of character growth I was surprised to see Benjamin Bratt in the film I thought he had a a small but important role yeah yeah likewise the love interest character uh for for Stephen Strange didn't really go anywhere but it was very important to have that at the beginning of the film and it was a nice callback at the end or you know throughout of yeah just you've left this old life that she was a major part of look how much you've changed and she can see how much she's changed yes i don't know that she necessarily needs to come back for a sequel um i don't even know if that's a character from the comics or not to be honest because the the main love interest for him in the comics is uh clea who's a, a sorceress well, the other character that his interactions with showed his growth was the other uh, doctor who had pronounced a patient yeah. Yeah. dead earlier at the beginning of the film. And I can't think of that doctor's name. But oh, I anyways. forget it, but at the end when he's trying to save the ancient one, yeah, Strange picks up a scalpel, realizes he can't do this. Yeah. But here is this guy who he had treated really poorly early on. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, I... I've got to let him do this. Yeah. He can do this. Yeah. And showing both the confidence and the trust in that man. Yeah. And handing him the scalpel and telling him, this is what I need you to do. This is what I trust you to do. Well, another character though, along those lines is uh, Wong. Yes. Who's kind of the new librarian for the, the ancient one or whatever. His role in the comics is essentially the major domo of the Sanctum Sanctorum for Doctor Strange. You know, the, the, the New York office, mm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, acting almost as his Alfred at times. Well, and he went with him at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to, throughout the movie to have sort of a good eye for this is what you need to be learning. This is what you need to be reading. Not that I appreciate you taking books off the shelf from behind me. Well, and Wong has a very, in the comics, interesting relationship with Strange. Because at times he is treated like the hired help, but other times he's very much the most trusted friend and and confidant. And there are other times he's very exasperated with Strange. So it's, again, a very interesting dynamic that over the years and decades have been played multiple ways. I found it amusing that Strange was trying to get a laugh out of Wong. And then inadvertently gets one at the end. Yes. Well, because there's a little bit of the... um, cliche you know unflappable asian stereotype going on there yeah this wong is a little bit bigger than kind of how he's typically portrayed he's more in the comics as a very kind of skinny physically unimposing Mm -hmm. individual you know one that somebody if they wanted to just barge in and just shove him aside would think they could do that of course then they'd get the the mystic whammy or whatever but um, and in his level, I think, of, of proficiency in the comics has, has varied a little over the years. At this point, it's pretty pretty sub- uh, substantial. I don't know if he would necessarily be considered kind of one of the de facto potentials for the next Sorcerer Supreme, should Strange kick the bucket in the comics. But it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Well, in the movie, he seemed to know the majority of what the Ancient One knew. The impression I got is he was in the inner, inner circle for yeah. the, the Ancient One. 
I don't think you become the librarian guarding all the knowledge if you're not already fairly knowledgeable and very trustworthy. Yeah. And that is part of the, the fun with the Wong character, though, is there are things that he knows because of that sort of a training that Strange doesn't. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he may feel Strange should, but Strange is also that that uh, protege, not protege, uh, prod- uh, yeah, prodigal or whatever. Um, I'm getting the wrong word there. It's the the one who's just the, the natural, mm. mm-hmm. who has the innate talent, the speed of learning, even if they don't have the experience or all the knowledge. Yeah. And you need to have, it, it's good to split those things across characters. Because if you've got somebody who's just got the raw power and is that natural superstar, yet you've got somebody whom they have just sailed straight by who has the the wisdom and the knowledge they need, mm-hmm. it gives the, the reason for the characters to be interacting and can very much color the interaction. Well, it was interesting to realize that Mordo saw pretty much all of life in very black and white terms. Mm-hmm. He could be, I want to say, influenced by the ancient one in terms of he came there to learn all he needed to learn to get revenge and he she shifted his focus what's interesting is while we got to know the character fairly well over the course of this film we really didn't get to know any of his backstory no all all he told us was he wanted revenge yeah against who or why or when or how no idea yeah well and he seemed older than he looked because of something about his interaction with the Ancient One. I came here a long time ago, that kind of thing. But some of it was very much that that Zen monk mindset, I want to say, that both he and Wong exuded. There's that whole, you know, monastery-ish aspect. Yeah, of yeah, that gives the whole, I must be a hundred years old and have wisdom beyond my years because I'm doing the whole monastery thing. I never really took him as to have having had that kind of longer lifespan he could have been at the monastery or whatever for you know 10 years or something and it still feels like a long time there were lines of dialogue that i agree kind of elude to him having dealt with the ancient one for quite some time Mm -hmm. but one would think if it had been for longer than a natural lifespan that the what do you mean she's tapping into the, the the dark dimension or whatever see and that's why i got confused about my impression but then again if he's only what 40 45 and he came there around 18 seeking revenge which is entirely I mean? probable and possible heck if he's only 36 and he came at 18 he's been there half his life yeah so it feels like a long time but i think as we've already discussed with strange's timeline they played, I don't say fast and loose with it, but it is unclear how much time elapsed when, which is funny for a movie involving mm. re- rewinding time at the end, which also, I think also further makes Rachel McAdams as the love interest even more hilarious because she's been in The Time Traveler's Wife and what was the other film where she's um dealing with a time traveler? She's dealt with time travelers many times before, but... I also think that there's something about the current... TV season? Not TV season. I was going to say society in general, at least for Americans, if not in totality on the planet, that the number of time travel shows we have, mm-hmm. timeless, time after time, Legends of Tomorrow, I'm going to toss the Flash in there, 12 Monkeys, mm-hmm. obviously Doctor Who, mm-hmm. 
And I'm thinking I'm forgetting two or three. Yeah, time travel's all over the place. It's like people want to go back and undo things. And I don't, you know, I'm kidding. I do get it. The way that time travel and time rewind concept was introduced in the film, very well done. I loved going, being able to take the apple to its former state. What I loved was what he was doing was the equivalent of a shuttle control for an editor. Yeah. Where it's like, let's dial a little backwards, a little forwards, back, forward, back. That's what I want. Yeah, and then take the book back to a previous state so we can see what the book looked like before somebody... I mean, who tears a page out of a book? Two in this case. That's just rude. Two pages, but yeah, you know, certainly not a a bibliophile. And what got me is I don't think anyone else at that monastery had even considered doing that kind of an approach. Yeah. Well, but then... He accidentally started running the spell. It, it was <laughs> funny because when he then mentions, yeah, I've got photographic memory. You know, yes. that's how I became a doctor, how I did this, how I did that. It was one of those just kind of off the cuff comments that with some stories and some characters like, really, that's convenient with him. It's like, yeah, I should have figured. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Again, it was, I thought, a smart character. Mm hmm. As exemplified by a smart writing team Mm -hmm. that put together a story that held water and you can kind of poke at it. It doesn't, you know, kind of uh, break down at that point. Not saying it's perfect, not saying it's flawless or anything, but they sold the right concepts well Well, and they did it with characterization at the same time. Yeah, I really loved the difference between confidence and arrogance, for instance. He had arrogance in spades. Yes. But he didn't have the self-confidence to open the little swirly portal. Well, then he gets dumped off at Everest by the Ancient One. Mm. And then Mordro realizes what's happened. There was a comedy made of, oh no, not again. Mm-hmm. Making me think, if you go around the other side of that mountain, there's probably another two or three wannabes. Yeah. And Mordro being about to go fetch him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was... Again, it was a turning point moment for, for Stephen Strange, the character. And going back again to your point of it's a long, drawn-out origin, mm. I would say the first is the car crash. The second is accepted for training. That's the third. Yeah. Well, and it's it's kind of the whole afternoon, if you will, or it's more than that two or three minutes on Everest because it's back-to-back with... With the other a guy yeah. missing the hand who was showing... Yeah. Yeah. And that just makes for a very powerful set of scenes of it's not what you physically have. It's that belief in yourself that you can do it. I still think it was the return from Everest, that moment that was the turning point. But that moment would not have happened without the other. Yeah. Without the the preceding scene. And I'm trying to think what I would consider kind of maybe that fourth and closing at this point, he's Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme. When the Cloak of Levitation chose him. Oh, we'll go with that as the fourth, but not final, because I think the final... I thought that was a very defining moment. It was a defining yeah, moment. Yeah, definitely. I guess the Everest thing is now he can do magic. The The Cloak is now he's being accepted by magic. Yes. But I think it was after the Ancient One dies and he saves the Hong Kong thing. Now he's the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. De facto, if not entitled. Yeah. So. Well, and the cloak chose him in part because he chose to save New York. 
for all that Mordo faulted him for, you know, fighting here was self-serving. No, the bad guys didn't even know he was in the building. Yeah, he could have gotten away without fighting. Yeah. I would want to see the scene where he first gets into that building and encounters the cloak when it's in its Mm -hmm. display case. Because it was fairly animated. Mm -hmm. And one could argue it had maybe potentially started to choose him at that point. I think it was intrigued by him. Or just lonely. True. But, I mean, it, it was noticing him and following him. But it wasn't battering at the glass. Trying to get to him. The fact that we'd never seen it interact with anything else because we'd never seen it. True. But... We don't have a frame of reference. I'm only giving it intrigued credit. And, uh, my point is, was it intrigued by Strange or just intrigued by there was something in the room? <laughs> True. That okay. a cat going by it would have done the same thing. <laughs> you mean it's like one of those paintings where the eyes follow anybody who enters the room? I was thinking one of those motion sensor toys at a toy store. You walk down the wrong aisle and everything pops to life. <laughs> okay. Um, I was, again, not expecting the cloak to have kind of a sense of personality, but it, it again, fits the magic theme. It, they sold it. It worked. Well, it's funny because the one time when the cloak had kind of hung itself up in the air and he reached over and grabbed it and put it on, I was disappointed because later after that, it did what I wanted it to do, which is it chose to put itself on him. It chose to take itself off so he would put the eye on the stand. It was funny because that scene where he's walking down the hall and just kind of swirls it around him, I'd actually seen before. There was some either commercial or something. There's a commercial for a... Surface or something? Yeah, a Marvel lady. Yeah, Marvel lady's like, well, he had to have a spectacular way to do this. And I'm like, that scene, I think, in the movie might have played better if I hadn't seen it out of context. Yeah. But it... To me, it was him calling it into action and it responding. It's mm-hmm. like, we're a team now kind of a thing. Yeah. Hopefully, it's something that the makers of the next film, if Doctor Strange shows up on in the Thor movie and stuff like that and the Avengers, that the other writers and other effects teams continue with to some degree. Yeah. Because it reminds me of the Excalibur uh, sword in The Librarian. Yes. Which initially had that same level of personality and style. Yeah. But then it just kind of got dropped. Yeah. Or became less relevant, I guess would be the way to put it. So I want to see where they go with this. Like I said, good extension of the Marvel uh, Universe and such. And I'm curious if and when we're going to get some kind of crossovers more than we have in the past. between, And maybe we've gotten it this season on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I haven't watched it yet. We haven't watched it yet. Uh, but between the movies, the the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, and then what all's going on with the Netflix stuff. Because mm-hmm. we've still got um, both Luke Cage and Iron Fist to watch. Too much good TV this season. I was posting, I think, on the Slack channel uh, today as we record this, that uh, I really need a really bad TV season to come up. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, we're way behind on a couple of shows. And good shows. Yeah. But there are better shows for, or more ones we want to watch more. Well, and we are making a, a, a more concerted effort to stay current on multiple shows. Mm-hmm. In the past, we've kind of marathoned a certain show on Wednesday, then the following Friday marathoned another show. Yeah. And made less of an effort to stay current on as many shows as possible at a time. Well, and it's one of those things that... We get together twice a week. We're recording this on a Friday evening. And 
we get to my place. We sit down with dinner. We've we've gotten some takeout and stuff. We watch the movie. We record, and then the evening's pretty much done. Yeah, you know, it's it it takes a little while to do these episodes. They're a ton of fun. I and totally I, agree. I wish I had more time to be doing them. Now, I will say I prefer watching the movies here at your place to the movie theaters. Same here, which is part of why we're watching Doctor Strange now versus, I don't know, six yeah. months ago. Well, but I mean, I know a lot of people prefer the theater experience, and I totally get that. But for me, the advantage of here in your home is when I get totally baffled or they do some huge reveal on somebody, I can just ask you, was I supposed to recognize that person? Mm -hmm. Is this supposed to hold meaning for me and I'm missing it and feeling like an idiot? Or as Strange is walking out of the New York office, if you will, I'm like, that's Bleecker Street. Yes. And you, they spin around to the sign of 177 uh, B Bleecker Street or whatever the address was. You know, it, it, I'm not going to say something like that in the theater because exactly. I don't want to ruin it for other people. Yeah. So there's certainly an aspect that I enjoy the Blu-ray uh, experience on. I've got the big screen. If we really wanted to do 3D, we could. It's easier. It's more convenient. It's not as timely, and I get that, but I'm okay with that because it gives us a little bit more uh, freedom to have that back and forth you know, during the film. And there are a couple of times where I'm like, wait a sec, I'm a little confused by what happened. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily in this one, but certainly some others. Um, but it's a matter of, again, finding the time. I've got a stack of blu-rays and uh ever growing again the two netflix shows that's 12 hours a piece give or take yeah um so it's it's fun to do but it takes some time i hope uh all the, the listeners have have seen dr strange if not even if you're not really interested in the character from a visual point of view it's beautiful it's it's un unprecedented i think uh visual effects yeah and i thought really well done um, if I had to say if there are any major negatives in this film, wasn't really sold by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent. There was one point where I sat there thinking, wow, so that's how he does an American accent. And that's when I realized, wait, I'm actually consciously thinking that. That's how he tries to act American. <laughs> yeah. So, but I also, I do, I watch him on Sherlock. So I'm used to hearing him different mm -hmm. is part of it. Well, and I do think he did a good job differentiating Strange from Sherlock. Yes. Both are incredibly smart and arrogant people, particularly at the beginning of the film here. Mm -hmm. But in very different ways, I never felt Strange was as short with people, as rude, as condescending, or the, the high-functioning sociopath yeah. that, that, he would, that Sherlock would describe himself as. Yeah. Uh, but he's, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is a terrific actor. He well, did a, a good job here, a fantastic job in Sherlock. I think Sherlock him in Star Trek. I think Sherlock's a more self-aware character, whether oh, or not absolutely. he wants to be. But we've also seen him in um, the Enigma game. Yes, excellent performance there. And he, again, he's playing in Imitation game. Imitation game, I'm sorry, you're right, about the Enigma project. Yeah, excellent um, performance. Where he plays Alan Turing, who's another brilliant person. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to get typecast, I guess getting typecast as that genius type, probably not a bad thing, I guess. Yeah. But I am curious what he's going to do next. And again, how many more uh, Marvel films he'll do. So he was a good fit for uh, for the Doctor Strange character. Um, two of the other things sitting in the, the stack of, of Blu-rays and DVDs, I don't know when we'll get to them or, I mean, someday we will. I just don't know how soon. 
But there was the temptation to turn this into a trilogy episode. <laughs> but you're like, John, how can you do that? There's only one Doctor Strange film. No, I'm not like that because I'm staring at the stack. For the listeners who are not, <laughs> there is the Doctor Strange animated feature they did uh, four-ish years ago, maybe. I don't know. Within the last half decade-ish. Maybe a little longer. Um, that actually was not too dissimilar to some of what we got here. That was a, a I think, direct-to-video thing, uh, which I watched and was pretty good. Mm. Uh, but it's been a while. And then the other one that I watched ages ago, uh, and have since picked up the uh, the DVD of, was the made-for-TV Doctor Strange film from the 70s. Oh, my. Um, so I'm sure that hasn't necessarily aged as well. <laughs> I bet the effects are a bit different. I've got to imagine. To me, that's the sort of thing that I would expect there to be. Almost a lot of smoke and mirrors, literally. Yeah. That just seems like smoke machine galore kind of effects. You know, one of the scenes that I loved just in terms of messing with and playing to at the same time your expectations. Uh, they're in the courtyard of the monastery, basically. And at first it looks like they're just doing those standard martial arts forms. And as you come in, you realize they're learning to spin the, uh, the portal. The portals. Yeah. It's funny that had a little bit of an avatar, the last airbender feel to it mm. because they used uh Tai Chi ish kinds of moves for the bending water, fire, airbending, whatever. Um, so you would sometimes see groups of characters getting trained. Yeah. And again, it, it goes back to almost that Tibetan monastery kind of a feel Yeah. Uh, that they had here. Yeah. Like I said, at some point we'll go through the other films, because I can't imagine that 70s one having any of this sort of sensibility whatsoever, but still trying to do a very similar sort of story, because a lot of the story elements they dealt with here go back to that very first Doctor Strange story. Just like the first Iron Man film goes back to the first Iron Man. Yeah. They updated it, they changed it, they tweaked it. But in both cases, thematically and high-level plot-wise, they stayed very true to the, the material. So you're telling me the origin story as written way back when is not don't text and drive. No, he gets <laughs> into a car wreck. I mean, the texting part's different, but the car wreck's the same. Oh, okay. The damaged hands... The uh, Western medicine can't fix him, so he goes for the Eastern, travels the world, gets to the monastery, gets trained. I mean, yeah, the specifics are different mm -hmm. in terms of the execution of the specifics. Yeah. But almost plot point by plot point, you can see the direct uh, alignment parallels, and in some cases, uh, um, I'm trying to think what would be the right word there, um, it, it, they didn't change it. Yeah, well, it fascinated me that his origin was very much a journey. There was an aspect of reluctant hero, but that didn't quite cover it. I, I think this film is, in this origin of the character, which facilitated this film, is something that justifies a full movie for the origin of the character. Whereas if you look back at the origin of Batman, Superman, uh, Flash, Spider-Man... Green Lantern, a lot of characters, there is the defining moment. Yeah. Rocketed from Earth, parents die, yes, there's a little training, okay, there's a montage, and boom, 30 seconds later in the film, they're the hero. Yeah. You know, this is one where there's, like like we've been saying, a lot more meat to the story of the origin. Mm-hmm. There's an arc, an evolution, time had to elapse, 
and not in a montage sense. Well, and because he learns so much while he's healing about about the mystical stuff, about what has the power to heal him, and really about whether or not it should be used to heal him or for that other and greater purpose. And that that doctor's oath of first do no harm, he'd rather be a conscientious objector. He He's a reluctant warrior in well, this. In most superhero origins, I would argue, there is the moment they get the power, which is determined to be the origin. Mm-hmm. Here, there's the journey to get the power, but there's more importantly the journey to be a journey to become the hero. There's the calling to use the power. But I guess my point is, yeah. he's not inherently like Steve Rogers, heroic and needs the super soldier serum to become the hero or yeah. to facilitate the hero. Yeah. He needed to have that healing path of for Strange as he's learning to get the power, learning to 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 change his mindset to become heroic. Mm-hmm. Or at least less arrogant, less annoying, etc. Because it's a slow journey. Yeah, well, yeah, once he has all the knowledge, he certainly doesn't want to use it the way others feel it should be used. And in fact, uh, I think it was when they got to Hong Kong, and he's saying there's another way to achieve your end. Well, I thought the moment when he's like, no, I the Hippocratic Oath, I'm a doctor, and for the first time, that's shown to mean something to him philosophically. Yeah. That throughout the entire film up to that point we'd never really seen yeah but it's something that we can believe Mm -hmm. and so there is the aspect of the hero within him but it needs that awakening it needs he needs to adjust who he is Mm -hmm. and it's not just boom he's got the suit of armor he's got the magic power ring superpowers whatever kind of a thing yeah it's not something that you could just montage through the events of this film and oh well of course he becomes a hero yeah well and going back to the i kind of was assuming and afraid that i was going to get a absolute power corrupts absolutely storyline and that that was what he wrestled against i think we did get that both with the main villain of this film a secondary version of that with presumably the main villain of the next film and the antithesis of that with strange himself but I thought that would be Strange's journey. Ah. That that's what he personally would wrestle with. Oh, I get it. I get it. That he would become all-powerful and then realize, whoa, this is bad. And mm-hmm. Okay. That he would be too tempted by the power he was getting and that it would risk taking him astray and that the Ancient One would basically spend the movie pulling him to the side of good. Yeah. At what point would he have crossed what line? Mm-hmm. And how would he get pulled back over and realize the error of his ways? I was afraid Christine would die because of something he did wrong. And that would be when he turned time backwards to save her and be determined to stay on the path of good. Not like we've never seen that. I think there was this movie in the 70s where uh, the hero has to go save somebody and the love interest mm-hmm. dies. And, and then he flies around time. Earth backwards. Yeah. yeah. For anyone too too young to get the reference, uh, go watch the first uh, Christopher Reeve Superman film. Okay, now you made me feel old. It's uh, it's a classic. I love it. It's a little uh, I'm not gonna say it's a little dated, 
but it's it's uh, from a different storytelling era. Isn't that the one where he uh, gets a piece of coal and presses it really, really hard in his hands and makes a diamond? I thought that was, might, might have been the second one. Oh, okay. That was one of my favorite yeah. in the Christopher Reeves movies, one of my favorite moments. I, I love those Superman films. They're great. Yeah. Again, at some point we'll do the Doctor Strange stuff. We've still got a few more um, Marvel movies to do. Logan is in theaters now. That's another one I'm planning. I'm probably just waiting for the Blu-ray on. Yeah. I've heard that one could be, not could be, but he's fairly violent. It's R-rated. I'd rather kind of watch that at home where I can sit there and not watch it if, yeah. at certain scenes if I need to. If there's a listener out there that can give a, a is it really that, that bloody, gory, whatever, because I'm really squeamish. Just the way I am. And again, I appreciated how this one didn't uh, uh, get gratuitous places. Yeah. And then at some point, we'll catch up on uh, this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, just We haven't had time. I know they've been doing some stuff with, uh, I believe, Ghost Rider, with Life Model Decoy. So I'm very curious about what they're doing. I've heard good things about the season. Just it's, it's better than it was. It's just a matter of, again, finding the time to catch up. Likewise, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, there's plenty to be. Be, uh, be watching yeah so anything else does that pretty much do it i think that does it cool the show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website please email us at the guys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode thanks for listening